I love this story of the woman at the well. There's so much detail in it. Jesus is always speaking on one level and everybody else is on another, earthly and heavenly. And so the Jews and the Samaritans disliked each other intensely, especially they fought over what temple was the, was the real temple, the one on Mount Gerizim in Samaria or the one in Jerusalem. And if you were headed toward the temple in Jerusalem, they wouldn't speak to you. They might even do violence to you. So Jesus is trying to get from Galilee down to Nazareth, I mean down to uh, uh, Jerusalem. And the, the safe way to go would be to go down the Jordan River, go down into the valley, and then ascend the 2,000-foot elevation, 2,500 feet, up to, the, up to Jerusalem from Jericho, the lowest city on earth. And so it, you know, but it's a long journey. And Jesus decides to go through Samaria. Maybe he has this woman in mind. He's God and human. So he's going there. They've taken a shortcut through Samaria, which is somewhat risky. And Jesus comes to Jacob's well. Now this well, at the time of, of your hearing this story, is 800 years old. And it is still there today. You can still go and see Jacob's well, 2,800 years old. I may have be off by 100 years, you know. And so it's, it's 80 or 90 feet deep today, and Jesus is exhausted. You know, you see his full humanity. You know, he's fully God, but he's also in a human body. It's really hot in Israel, that, in that part of Israel, at certain times of the year. You can see him exhaustedly sitting at the well, and he tells his disciples, basically, beat it. I want to be alone. He sends them away. And they leave him alone at the well without a way to get water. The, it wasn't a well with a, with a rope and a bucket. You brought your own bucket and you brought your own rope. So he's sitting there. Here comes this woman. And women and men did not, strange women and men did not talk, especially at a well. It just wasn't done, especially a Jew and a Samaritan. Uh, so Jesus is breaking all the usual customs by doing this. She comes up, probably a little bit tentatively, wonder who the heck is this? Why is she coming at noon? Probably, this is scripture scholars um, uh, reflecting on this, and, and some of the church fathers, is that she, remember what she says, he told me everything I ever did. Probably a lot more than we heard in this reading. This six with the five husbands, and probably a lot more to go with all that that Jesus said. Everything I ever did. Everyone in town knew what she did. So she doesn't want to come to the well when all the women are there that gossip about her. She'd rather be there alone. So she comes at the heat of the day. Most people do not come to a well at that time of year at noon. She's coming at noon. That's very deliberate. Everything John writes is deliberate. So she comes to the well with her bucket and her rope. She put, Jesus is sitting there. She doesn't expect to talk to him, doesn't know who he is. And he says, not a very attractive way of saying it, woman, give me a drink. Would that make you want to help him? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, well, we, will, we won't go into the theological significance of that statement. But, but, and she says, you don't even have a bucket or a rope. And he said, you, a Jew? She must have somehow noticed he was a Jew. Maybe he was wearing a mezuzah or something. That you, a Jew, and a man, and a rabbi, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? You know? If he were to drink from her bucket he would become ritually impure. And she knows that. Plus, he's breaking all the customs. But, you know, Jesus is, he's got something up his, he's got something in mind. 
And uh, so they have this discussion. And suddenly, that woman is us. We are the woman at the well. And Jesus finds us. He's waiting for us at certain places in our lives. When we pray, when we look at our life each night, hopefully you do that on a regular basis to see how we are doing to discussing your life with his and his with yours and uh, an examination of conscience. And he talks about living water. Well, she's, she's thinking about going to get that bucket every every she doesn't want to get go to get the water in the bucket every day and but he's talking about living water so when we hear that we on earth are always looking for something that to satisfy a thirst and a hunger that cannot be filled and cannot be satisfied now notice Jesus said I have food of which you do not know again the disciples don't get it at the end of this this long reading Jesus is offering us something that satisfies us that nothing on earth can do. You can go to every place on earth and every place in the universe if it were possible, and it would not satisfy us because we are, as I say many times, we are eternal beings in a temporal world, and only the eternal can satisfy a human heart because we are much greater than one human lifetime. Nothing can satisfy us on earth ultimately. Anything that's created is not sufficient. Jesus is offering us that living water that never ends, that is eternal. You know, it's a metaphor, of course. And she doesn't quite understand that. She says, sir, give me this water. I can't wait for that. He, then, then he stops and he, he wants a confession first. He wants her to go to confession. So she says, go call your husband. I love this part. I can, I can see him saying, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, well, you're right about that. You've had five of them and the current one isn't your husband, you know. So then she goes, I can see that you're a prophet. She's probably shocked. What does she do? She goes right into politics. <laughs> Want me to go into politics? I'm not going to. But what would Jesus do if, if, wouldn't you want to ask him about some of the hot button issues of the day? That's exactly what she does. She says, you Jews believe that God is on uh, Mount Zion. We believe he's on Mount Gerizim. What do you think? You're a prophet? I want to know what you think. We, there's no right answer to that for her. And what he does the same thing every time he's asked these questions. He just sidesteps it. And he says, believe me, woman, it won't be long before you won't be worshiping in either one of these places. Forty years from then, the Romans destroyed it all, both temples, and it was gone. He tells us the same thing. You're worrying about the wrong things. Worry about the eternal. What's pleasing to God? That's what matters in our lives. We want that eternal water, that eternal life, that kingdom that never ends, but this perfect justice and perfect mercy. That's the world we're headed toward. And he wants us to focus on that and not these temporal things that divide us and, and, and all these issues like that. So he, he steps right around that and offers her something much more. And she gets all excited and goes off and tells everybody, you know, and they all know what she did. And she, she gets them to come back. And actually, um, amazingly, at the end of this story, they stay with the Samaritans for several days. It's almost unprecedented because Jesus had made such an impression on them. Imagine that they became believers after he rose from the dead there in Samaria because of that woman and that story. She became an evangelist for him. This, this sinful woman was like Mary Magdalene one of his first evangelists. It's amazing. But for us, 
we have this opportunity. You know, we meet him at the well in prayer, and we're going to meet him at the end of our lives. He'll sit down with us at a well, or as St. Ignatius would tell us, and I've used this example before because I used it to become a priest. You know, you walk with him, take a walk in your mind if you're in a good mood at some quiet place that you love, a beach or something. I've, I have my own place that I think of, and you walk with him. How does this decision look now? You're at the end of your life. How did it turn out? Talk about your life, because at the end of our lives, we're going to walk with him or sit down by the well, and he's going to tell us everything we ever did. It's going to happen to you and me. Why not have that conversation now so we're not surprised at the end, right? So we do that by having a good examination of conscience. We pray. We ask God, is my life pleasing to you? Is what I'm doing pleasing to you? It's a simple question, but it can be a scary answer, you know? And this is the conversation they had. And then he offered her living water. And so this, sometimes we have to go to confession after we hear, have a conversation like that. But this is, this is, our Lord is offering us a very deep friendship. And he's most attracted to people that have been away, that are separated, that are not fully in communion, you know, with, with, with him. He, they've been away for a while, like her. She's a, she's a Samaritan. And he goes, comes around and says, salvation is from the Jews. He makes it very clear. The temple is in Jerusalem, he tells her. But he also says, I'm here for you. I am the temple. Believe in me. I'm the Messiah. He comes right out and says, I am the Messiah. He certainly didn't look like it. But she had faith. She was open. She was ready. So we have those God moments where we'll find him in by surprise at, a, at the well, but we can also seek him out at the well. Some will go to the Adoration Chapel or we pray before Mass. Mass is the well, of course. And we pray, hopefully, in our own homes, in our own hearts. And here we meet Jesus, and he tells us everything we ever did. But um, he also encourages us to keep going and, and to to do his will and to make a difference in the world and to be, to be his arms and legs, to, uh, to, be, to live a life that is ultimately pleasing to God. And that's what life is all about. And so the woman at the well is a, is a fantastic story of the journey of the soul. And it turns out the woman at the well is each one.